we still dealing with the fact that there's pay inequity. I mean, I started rapping 30 years ago. What is the problem? Um, so, you know, it's a shame that these things even still have to be discussed, but I had to discuss them back then because look at now, look what happens when you don't talk about it. You know, it never changes. I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, your weekly talking to, as Mr. Bill Burr said. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> we'll get into that, obviously. Today. I didn't want to, Scott. As soon as I saw the, the clip, early, I'll get, we'll, we'll get into that later. But yes, we'll, we'll be getting um, in, into that. So yes, um, what, was, just, just your, what was your quick take? What's your five-second take on, on that uh, SNL monologue by Bill Burr? Well, I thought his comedy was fine. I'm really more concerned about what he's doing as attorney general. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get it to it. All right. <laughs> um, shout out to um, uh, the Ilharmonic Orchestra. Today's downbeat. Um, came to you uh, by Queen Latifah, the one and only. You know, um, I interview um, Andrea McNeil, a.k.a. The Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, today. Uh, the Ilharmonic Orchestra has a concert, a virtual concert, coming up uh, this weekend, October 24th. Uh, we'll get more into that uh, in the opus. I just wanted to uh, make sure I shout out them out. Also, the Lead Society, um, if you'll um, go back in your memories, if you've been with us a, a few opuses here. Um, uh, I interviewed uh, Abe Hunter uh, a few opuses back. The um, uh, the Queen Bee, as I described him, of the Lead Society. Um, that concert, our collaboration. I'm actually hosting that audio only concert. That's coming up on Sunday. You can get more information about that um, at the on the Lead Society website. I'll post that um, in the uh, descriptions here. Okay. Uh, a couple quick shout outs. Number one, I want to say thank you to all of my new followers on Twitter. Did you know that in the last six weeks, my Twitter followers have doubled? You're welcome. Um, and I just want to say, don't go getting a big head about it because I only had a hundred before. So, a <laughs> hundred more followers, a hundred more people that are coming to your party. Uh, imagine if you were throwing a party and you were expecting a hundred and two hundred showed up. That would be a big deal, wouldn't it? It would. I'd have to go get more chips. Um, but, <laughs> more than that. But also, I want to apologize as well for the low amount of posts and the low quality of those posts. So I don't know if you thought you were going to find something when you started following me because you're not really. But uh, seriously, uh, shout out to Kirk Clock, who's a great photographer who uh, took some shots of you and me primarily, but also Dell and Radar got into the mix and a couple selfies with Kirk in there. Uh, You guys go get yourself uh, an iPhone. (laughs) Right. 11. (laughs) Because those pictures were amazing. I was actually talking to another uh, photographer uh, yesterday, and uh, what he told me was that the iPhone 11 or all the way up to your big cameras, the the difference is what you want to carry around and what the look is you're going for. And, oh, okay. You know, so okay. so it's not that like the iPhone 11 has replaced all of that fancy camera work as much as it's broadened the palette. You know.
you know, the if you imagine a painter's palette, there are a couple more colors there, you know, when you only have to have a iPhone in your pocket if you're if you're shooting a rock climber or something. You let's know? also make sure let's also make sure that uh, we say that Kirk has the eye too. You know, you can buy all the gear. Oh, yeah, you can buy all that. the gear you the want. The stove doesn't cook the food, the kid the cook does. Exactly. So you know. Kirk's got an eye. So yeah, shout out to Kirk Clock. Thanks for that. And also shout out to Robert McClure. Yeah. A host, Lexical Tones podcast. Host of Lexical Tones. That came out uh, two weeks ago, I think, in um we didn't mention anything because there's too much else to get well, through. Well, I think it comes out on Tuesday. We record on Monday. So we had just, you know, because I didn't want to shout oh, that, it out until I heard it. Right. That, <laughs> but it was good. It, it was too. really great. We got into some stuff that I forgot about. Yeah. So, it, no, it was, it's a great listen. I, I definitely uh, suggest y'all go uh, and look up uh, Triloquy on the Lexical Tones podcast. Uh, and actually, um, the Harmonic Orchestra, uh, a recording made it onto uh, that recording as well. So again, shout out to the uh, yeah. Harmonic Orchestra. Um, I want to um, give a, and I'm sorry that we have a lot of announcements here, but you know, there's a lot going on in the arts world. I want to um, give a huge shout out and congratulations to Adrian Dunn for the uh, launch of the Black Music Experience, um, this uh, online uh, digital streaming platform. I gave a, a, a keynote uh, for the launch, the Black Music Matters Summit uh, last week. Um, all, all of that content is still there. Um, I'll have the link to uh, that website uh, in the in description in the description um a, a huge undertaking you know and adrian of course um i, I think the first guest for season two uh, of triloquy mm-hmm. it's one thing to you know carry a, a podcast every week a streaming service that's huge you yeah. know and i can only imagine the headache and the sleepless nights but it's there and it's great so um a huge shout out to uh adrian dunn i also wanted to um give a quick shout out to uh wuot uh, where i cut my teeth down as you say uh down in knoxville they hate they had me back uh, for a Beethoven uh, discussion that I think is pretty interesting. If you want to get into more of the the tall grass of classical music, uh, go check that out over at wuot.org. I'm going to go just to hear what you said about Beethoven. <laughs> uh, I want to say a quick shout out to Indigenous Peoples. Today is Indigenous Peoples Day as we record. Um, did you know this has only been happening since 1992? Indigenous, Indigenous Peoples, Peoples Day? Day? See, I, and I hadn't heard of it. So, you know, speaking of WUOT, um, when I did my first Indigenous Indigenous Peoples Day show there, it was still on the books as Columbus Day, so people saw it as right. like me protesting against, which I was fine. But you know, the principal thing is me celebrating this music that you know I now have the opportunity to to really focus on all day. So you know, and and um, you know, aside, you know. Uh, definitely on Indigenous Peoples Day, but, you know, all year round, not so much on Triloquy, but when I do public speaking engagements and the virtual things, and uh, I, I always do a land acknowledgement, and that's something that I learned uh, from Kwanis Floyd, a, a, sure. a season one guest. So um, so just as an example, um, you know, Scott and I, we're uh, recording here um, in what, you know, most folks know as uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, on I live all over on the west side, but, you know, it's actually the land of the Wapakute, um, uh, who are um, a part of the uh, Sioux of the Eastern Dakota, you know, and you can find more information uh, about the specifics of the land that um, you inhabit right now that was stolen at native-lands.ca. I'll have that um, uh, description in there. Yeah, visit it tomorrow because it's... Yeah, because, because of course, everyone's looking today. It's but jam-packed I guess today. it's better that, 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 than not looking at all, right? 
But we're uh, we're going to uh, give a shout out to a band actually called Indigenous in the second movie. Yeah, yeah, looking so. forward to that. Um, you know, and when I make those land acknowledgments, I always end it, Scott, by saying I honor both your land and your native rights to it. And you know. And I know we're still in the announcements. I'm, I don't want to get too much in, in the weeds here. But every time I say that, and I was telling this to uh, Abe yesterday, every time I say that, I uh, honor your land and your native rights to it. I wish some of the indigenous people would uh, turn up one of these days and start taking shit back because it's theirs for real, for real. And if they wanted it back, we would, you know, what, what, what argument is there to say, but of course, there's th- there would be people pushing back on the indigenous people just as what they were back then. But of course, um, I'm I'm hoping they pop off one day. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then to close out the announcements here, um, I uh, want to shout out Florence. So Florence um, is a nun who um, used to listen to me all the time uh, when I was on the radio and uh, continues to listen to Triloquy and writes me all of these really incredibly uh, sweet notes. I always don't have time um, to respond to all of them in the way um, that I would like to, but I just wanted to, uh, Florence, if you're listening, give you a a special shout out. Hey, Florence. Triloquy is um, the podcast that I would not expect to be played in a convent of all places, the way we cuss and drink and smoke and everything, but... Hey, I love it. Florence Florence <laughs> wants to keep her finger on the pulse. She wants to know what's up. It's important for all of us to engage these conversations. Racial equity in the um uh in the habit. The, the, a good habit get of in the racial habit equity. Of racial equity. Yes. Okay, let's get into movement one. All right, Scott. So I know that um your job has stolen Saturday nights from you, but not me. So uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was up really late and, and I've been trying to uh, make a point to stay up and watch um, Saturday Night Live, um, even though, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't really connect with or understand comedy. And we'll, we'll get into that here in a bit. But um, I, I tried to stay up. Um, to watch um, the musical performances this past Saturday, fell asleep anyway, uh, woke up Sunday morning, 5.30, uh, 6 a.m., and I look at my Twitter, and child, Twitter was upset. The, Twitter, whole, the whole Twitter? <laughs> Twitter? Twitter was not happy. She was very mad. So uh, I do some, some digging, and I, and I continue to see this name, this name, Bill Burr, a name that I didn't know, actually, at all. Um, so I, I gather that, oh, he did the opening monologue for, for SNL. So um, I'm still in bed, you know, just in front of my um, cell phone. Dell is still asleep. Um, watched the monologue, and it all made sense. So... This is what I, this is where I want to start this conversation because there's actually some meat to this conversation, even arts connected. Um, but before we get into that, Bill Burr was not an, a person that I knew about, but um, he was someone that you are familiar with, right? You bet. Yeah. Now, um, and, and and just in case I'm leaving anybody behind, you know, Bill Burr, uh, as I said, um, hosted Saturday Night Live, gave the opening monologue, and gave a monologue that upset a lot of people. Now, in general, Scott. Mm-hmm. Is this the sort of reaction that you would expect from a Bill Burr performance? No, that was Bill Burr. Yeah. That's what he does. No, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is sort of par for the course, that's, right? That's what he does. That's what people watch his Netflix specials, find him on YouTube. That's what people pay money for tickets to go and see at casinos and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's what Bill does. Mm-hmm. You you were talking earlier about how he turned a booing crowd around, uh, like they were right. booing and then they ended up cheering, I guess. One of his most popular segments on YouTube is a uh, 10 or 11 minute 
rant where some people started booing some of the things that he said there in Philadelphia. And he stood up there and he started counting off how many minutes he had left in his Mm -hmm. time and just dragged everybody, everybody sitting there and the town and everything. And by the end, they were applauding. Yeah. And there was just burn after burn after burn. Yeah. He was full of it. He was, it seemed to me like he was like, okay, you triggered me and, and now you're going to get both barrels. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, in the, in the SNL monologue, what people are, you know, really, um, you know, up in arms about is, you know, of course his use of, of the B word that I dare not say here, mm-hmm. uh, but, but also, you know, the fact that he's calling out uh, white women as being equally guilty mm-hmm. of, of, fill in the blank systemic issue. Um, I, I kind of just want your just straight off the chest take on that specifically. I know that, you know, in a world where, you know, in, in this patriarchal structure, you know, where gender equity is so important and we talk about it all the time, you know, it seems like Bill Burr, as many do, you know, I'll say uh, I have in the past as well and, and in the present, you know, look at the intersection of racial equity and gender equity and, you know, center black women, uh, black trans people and, and other women of color. Um, so with all of that in my all of those conversations in mind, what how do you would you approach the issue, the conversation of white women being um, culpable when it comes to all of this alongside uh, your brethren? <laughs> <laughs> That's not the direction I thought you were going to go with the question. But um, I, I think that he struck a nerve. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were talking upstairs about how satire in particular, biting satire, like what he does, that's his whole bag, um, holds a mirror up to what's going on. And a lot of people can't hack it. And especially if the person holding up the mirror kind of looks a little bit like them. You know, there's a different dynamic there. And you brought up a great point that if he were a black man, there there would have been people... Oh, they'd have got him out of here. Sure. Right. Okay. So, so there's that privilege aspect. He's married to a black woman. That does not proximity does not give him permission, right? Because there are whole anti-black black black women. So being married to not that she is. I'm not saying that, but you know, proximity. As you're saying, proximity does not, you know, absolve one of anything. So uh, I was thinking about this in the context of if it was a roast, would it be considered any different? You know, if he was talking about a specific woman. Would right. So different? if this was if this was a uh, you know setup, you knew that people were just going to be dragging this person yeah. the whole way. Um, it was a roast. Well, as you said, it struck a nerve. You know, when you're watching a roast, you're watching a comedian, and I'm sure he's done some of these roasts. I'm gonna have to go <laughs> and, sure. and, and see what problematic things he said there. But no, when you're watching a roast. Um, all of the energy is being pointed at someone. But as you said, you know, he kind of struck a nerve by holding up the mirror on white women. And this is a conversation that, you know, it's one thing to, you know, go into the off, the, 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 the what, what word, not the awe factor, but the, the shock factor. That's what I'm looking the for. Wild factor, the, the, the sure. wild factor. You know, it's one thing to talk about the conversation there, but, you know, there, there is actually a place for it. So, you know, and I'm always bringing up the American Composers Forum. Huge shout out to them in um, September, over a year ago now. Wow, time is flying. So in September of 2019, um, uh, Vanessa Rose uh, kicked off a uh, racial equity um, summit. And, you know, one of the conversations we had, um, you know, as a uh, as a board and, you know, as folks there um, that, that 
I, I, I will openly say that I brought up um, at that point, the American Composers Forum was talking about shifting its focus to racial equity. Mm. So my question was, what does that mean for white women? Are yeah. we focusing on racial equity or are we kind of or are we plus some or whatever? And, you know, what uh, we came to um, is similar to the argument, you know, that I always make. It's not about you know, uh, shitting on white women for me in, in my work or, or in, in, in any of these conversations as much as it's recognizing that when you center racial equity, you are talking about black women. You are talking about black trans women. You know, mm -hmm. you're talking about um, uh, Hispanic women and, and, and uh, you know, fill, fill in the blank sure. there, you know. Sure. And, um, and I think that's kind of what Bill Burr in a not so sensitive way was sort of shining a light on he also went into um pride month about how you know gay people of which i am one you Have know you, are not a class of we're never a class of enslaved people the way black folks are and yet you know here we are with our you know pride month and sure. that's longer than black anyway the, all of the jokes therein i think there is a point i think he's talking about something and i think that he did it in a way that people weren't used to um that was bill burr's essence yeah that's what he does but since he's on snl you know he's cleaned up his language and all sure. that sort of thing but the content is the same and snl had to have known this so when me, they brought him on so, so so let me ask you this a lot of institutions are really changing you know, when it, you know, when it, when it comes to uh, equity and, and, and X, Y, and Z, you know, we talk about it in classical music. I'm sure the conversation is happening in childcare and education. You know, is it time for that conversation to be had in comedy? You know, what, what do you think about comedy shifting gears and figuring out how to be funny without, you know, pissing somebody off? What would that mean for that conversation to even start? Well, we, had, we haven't done that. We had, we had Bill Cosby and that, and look what y'all did to them. Well, I mean, sideways. but rightfully so. He's a sexual predator, so. Right. And so what I'm saying is um, you have people like Jerry Seinfeld who thought that you shouldn't have to swear to be funny. Mm -hmm. Bill Cosby said the same thing. You shouldn't have to swear to be funny. But it's not just about and swearing. It's, you know, the energy. Because you didn't have to. Did Bill Burr say a single cuss word? No. Other than? Other than? Bleep. <laughs> okay, so let, let me make sure that I'm understanding the question, though, that you said, you know, returning to more wholesome comedy. Is that what Maybe you're saying? Maybe not wholesome, but, you know, taking this Bill Burr thing and putting it under the microscope historically, um, cross-culturally, you know, as, as we do everything else. I, I, I'm, I'm not versed in comedy. And sure, as we were sure, talking about right. before, I'll watch a stand-up comedy routine and not laugh because I just don't get the jokes or something. There's something about it that I don't get. Sure. But, you know... Again, that, that conversation, though, I mean, do you think it's time? I mean, because obviously the conversation is not really happening because they're, they're not saying the F-A-G word and stuff like that anymore. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they're still saying the B word, obviously. right? Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely think it's coming. <laughs> if, uh, if this didn't cause it to happen, then the next thing, the, the next controversial thing that he says is going to do it. Here's the thing about Bill Burr, too. He doesn't care that Twitter's upset. Right. He's probably sitting, scrolling through there and laughing his head off. Now, talk to me about the other institutions who don't care if social media is upset and how they're going to have to fucking pay for that. OK, so there's there's also that t to consider. But the shade of a, the shade of it was uh, <laughs> Twitter was upset. And when I use that phrase, 
Twitter was controversial. So you had white women tweeting things Mm -hmm. and you had everybody else tweeting things. And it sort of displayed, it it seems like Bill Burr just laid bare this sort of cultural dichotomy that exists. And he did so by saying a few things. He he, He shot his shot and I think it landed squarely on the mark. I think he knew fully what he was doing. Well, uh, Bill Burr will have his day. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, great job. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was poignant. I thought it was provocative. So the but, fi- but it's going to catch up. I think it'll catch up. Of the 50% of the people who were like, yeah, that's Bill Burr or whatever I saw it and it was great, okay, they're still going to seek him out. He's still going to have a crowd. He's still going to pack shows. He's not going to hurt. He's and, not. And what does that mean? And we know what that means, but that's that's that, that's to say the world, isn't it? We just we're entertained by what we're entertained by, and and fuck who's offended by it. So, I guess so. Mm. Remember that tune called Labish? If we can bring this to classical music, <laughs> I do. Who wrote that? Uh, French composer Francis Poulenc. Yeah, and I, I love Poulenc. I, I don't think I've ever aired that piece on the radio I have. because I didn't want it. I didn't want it with the audience. <laughs> I, I, I had it, and I and I botched it. <laughs> what did you say? Bish, bishes. <laughs> well, let, how about we listen to just a little bit of that as we move on here. <laughs> All right, on a uh, much more somber but celebratory note, um, in this first movement, we actually have a couple rest in peace, rest in powers to to hand out, right? Mm -hmm. First one I want to shout out is uh, Houston's own Johnny Nash. Talk to me about Johnny Nash. And, you know, preface to folks listening— um, I'm actually not very uh, well versed in uh, Johnny Nash or Van Halen, who we're going to talk about here in a second. So sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to learning here, too. Uh, Johnny Nash was a uh, reggae singer who released the hit I Can See Clearly Now. That was in 1972. And that was on one of the records that was just in the house growing up. That's know, so. the I Can See Clearly mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. Yep. And it ended up being one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar, too. Okay. So it's pretty. it's a pretty simple guitar riff. Um, and looking online just through some of the things I was able to find on his backstory, uh, he was uh, among the first non-Jamaican artists to record uh, reggae music in Kingston. He so, was black? He was black. Johnny Nash was a black man who went there and, 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 recorded, and did it. Yeah. That, I mean, because it's one thing to come here and, and culture vulture with privilege or whatever, but I feel like if you go down into Jamaica, mm-hmm. there is some trust that you have to build with some of those people and connections and relationships. Like he, he, he must've been the real, the real deal. He was uh, also in his catalog. Uh, Teenager sings the blues. Uh, you're looking at me um, as time goes by. Uh, but obviously the, the, the radio hit was I can see clearly now, and you hear it still in TV, film, commercials, everything. Yeah, I'm sure everyone can at least you know even hum the melody. You know, we we talked um, back with the passing of Inya Morricone. Mm-hmm. We talked um, and you know, and Jess brought up uh, Joe Greenstein's tweet about you know the most famous thing that people know you know oftentimes might not be what you treasured most or whatever. Right. You know? So you know. So along those lines, you know, rest in peace to Johnny Nash. I wonder if there is a Johnny Nash uh, sleeper, as some folks say, a Johnny Nash, you know, deep track 
that uh, that that they should know and that we should mm. uh, shout out and and give space to here. That's a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> well, let's look at a let's look at a list of songs and uh and, and pick one. Um, he did a tra- he did a cover of What a Wonderful World. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Oh, let's let's listen to a little bit of that here. Yeah, 1940 to 2020, a, a, a long, rich life. Um, you know, the the more, it's one thing growing up in your history book or whatever to see, excuse me, see, um, you know, the dates of people who have passed away. But, you know, I'm more and more sensitive these days to the reality of, you know, some of these people's upbringing. I mean, born in 1940 down in Texas. So around 1955, 19, you know, 62, he was probably being called all sorts of N-words and everything else. And, I'm sure. And, and pushing along, you know, the, the best he could. Yeah, so so shout out and rest in power to uh, Johnny Nash. I'm, I'm going to make a point to um, check out more of his music myself. Just, just a, you know. It's a shame a, that we do that when people die. but That's true, but um, do just enjoy his pure voice. Just yeah. such a clear lovely voice to listen to he was great now i'm not going to be able to chime in at all with um van halen Mm -hmm. um uh, rest in power to van halen but something that did actually catch my eye was um van halen sort of uh talking about his upbringing um how he you know was only friends with the black kids at school um because of you know folks but also sort of the racialization of Van Halen, you know, I, I don't know, and, and again, you know, full disclosure, I don't know who this person is, but across my screen, across my eyes, you know, on social media, I've seen the conversations of, oh, why do we have to talk about, and, and, and I'm, I'm, this is the spirit of Twitter, I'm not saying this, but mm-hmm. why do we have to talk about his Asian mom now, and oh, does that really matter? Oh, you're trying to politicize everything. So, you know, but before we get into the music of, of Van Halen, I kind of wanted to um, see if you could speak um, to that a little bit. I'm sure you saw those articles. and I did. Is, are these things you learned from reading those articles? They are. Wow. Um, so it was kind of, it, it wasn't the main no, thing. No, no, okay. no. It was something that it seemed almost as I was reading these, I was thinking like, what? Why didn't I know this before? Mm-hmm. You know, is this being hidden mm. or something? So let's go back. He was, uh, his middle name is Ludwig, some Dutch spelling. Okay, of it. yeah. So uh, he was born, uh, his father was Dutch, his mother's Indonesian, Mm. and they left when he was 10 years old because he was just constantly being taunted. Him and his brother Alex were constantly being called half-breed. So now if you think we got some nationalists here, try out, you know, like uh, Gert Wilders, that guy. You know who was uh, tried and found guilty of ans- uh, anti-Islamic sentiment, but wasn't sentenced to anything. They just said, "Well, we're keeping an eye on you. You're guilty, and we're going to be watching what you're doing." Dangerous whites all right. over the globe. Go so, on. So <laughs> um, they left there when uh, Eddie was ten, and Eddie Van Halen. Eddie okay, Van gotcha, Halen. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Eddie Van Halen was ten, and I think his brother Alex is like a year older, and uh, they moved to Southern California, and uh, he was 
taking piano lessons and being classically trained and he even won some piano competitions growing oh, wow. up. But he did it not through leaning, learning how to read music. He never did. Um, he watched his hand, the hands of his teacher and then would just go and mimic that mm-hmm. and kind of figure it out along the way and piece it together. You want to talk about, as far as his uh, guitar work, though, you want to talk about playing the instrument. He really found every single way that you could to play a guitar and make different sounds all the way up to uh, using a cordless power drill to get sort of these mm. siren sort of wails and all this sort of thing in it. But, you know, really the shame side of it, I, I was watching on Twitter a lot of people saying it would have been great as a person from Southeast Asia to know. I, I haven't heard. Okay, that's to, a good point. To know that they had that background because I love his music anyway, but what a source of pride it would have been to have known that growing up because you talk about seeing people like you doing things that you would like to do. Um, even though Eddie and Alex didn't present, they, they presented white, yeah. you know, but um, I think a lot of people would take some pride in knowing that they have a, a common heritage or, uh, or at least, you know, um, a similar background from somebody. Oh, they're from the part of the world that I am. Because I'd be claiming them. I'd be like, yes, he's Southeast Asian. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Now, the, it didn't really stop. It just seemed like him and Alex had a hard time integrating into the school structure here, too. For lack of a better word. Really. And, right. And so they, they, um, they were bullied here. And you can find all sorts of stories online now about how Eddie and Alex were buddies with the other black students because it was the black students that were st- sticking up for him and keeping them from getting their ass kicked. That, that, that just really seems like not only a trope, but just a reality. You know, as you tell that story, I think uh, uh, maybe three weeks ago, Dell and I watched The Sandlot. And yeah. I think about how it was uh, Rodriguez, you know, who was the one who welcomed, you know, uh, the, I forget the kid's name now, but the new kid back into the fold, you know, um, all kind of movies and TV shows where, you know, it's the black kid that's actually uh, being famous. Maybe you can even speak to that in, uh, <laughs> in your experience, you know, as, as, as someone who had to deal with um, dangerous whites, I'll say. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> you know? so shout out to Fred Crawford, yeah. my buddy in second grade. He was, he stood up for me. And and beyond that, you know, and, and again, not knowing um, the musical legacy mm-hmm. of um, Eddie Van Halen, reading stories like that, I think it reinforces the reality that there is no in-between, um, certainly when it comes to racism, um, uh, equity work, you know, uh, across our field and others, but also when it just comes to being a good person. That article... What, what I took from that article was not, well, there were some people that were friendly with me, but, you know, overall people were mean. What I read was they were, they did not like us. Mm-hmm. We were friends with the black folks. They were nice to us. So imagine the, and we talked about this earlier, imagine the people who went to high school with Eddie Van Halen, many of which I'm sure are, are still alive, who, you know, are counted among those who was not, you know, really being on his side. You know, maybe they didn't know. Maybe they were just passive. Maybe it wasn't any of their business. Mm. But at the end of the day, they didn't have his back, you know. That's true. And and, and I think that um, expands even further, as I was saying, you know, into in, in today when, when it comes to any, any situation, all and, of these things. And you have to wonder in that climate if it would have hurt 
their reputation if the, if the audiences did know that that is what once I, they I don't up. know right yeah I don't know and really this band brought something Van Halen as a band brought something into the landscape that was sorely missing at this time. You know, you've got bands like Black Sabbath with Ozzy Osbourne. And when was this? Uh, Well, they hit in 72 Mm. with their first album, but they were active up until, uh, you know, the aughts, you know, doing tours and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Eddie died of cancer. You know, he always had a cigarette going, Mm. always. So, you know, he had part of his tongue removed and work on his jaw, you know, to try to prolong his life. A rock star, I guess. Sure. but they brought something to the landscape that was missing. Smiles. They were up there looking like they just were having an oh, absolute wow. ball, you know? And and the music was about having fun. You know, they, they didn't do any ballads until they brought Sammy Hagar on in the 90s. You know, When It's Love, I guess you call a power ballad. Okay. But their songs were hard-driving rock and about having fun. Yeah. That was what the whole bag was all about. And uh, also shout out to his son, Wolfgang, who is mm. a, a bass player too. And another classical name. Yeah, to me, you know, when I was watching Eddie Van Halen, he had everything I wanted. He was He was a rock star and married to Valerie Bertinelli. I mean, <laughs> you know... That was, um, and as we transition out of this, a lot of people are going to point, you know, he's, he was virtuosic, wrote all these hard driving lines, great hooks, could also play the keyboard. But, uh, you know, a lot of people want to point to Eruption. The, the, that's the one where he does all that finger tapping or Spanish fly. But as, as we transition out of this, I want to bring up Cathedral, which is a piece he did on guitar immaculately timed with a digital delay pedal and using the volume knob on the instrument. I will also link a uh, video to what you're talking about using the volume knob uh, right. on the guitar yeah. because you know as somebody you know from the concert stage when you described it I, I kind of didn't have any idea what you were talking about but I think maybe last week you showed me an example and it really is incredible there, there's all sorts of of ways music can be made and sounds can come out of this instrument but before we before we leave that you know I, I think we talked a little bit about this when uh, we were going into slide guitar I forget what mm-hmm. episode what opus that was we were talking about Roots. that but uh, roots, all of that. There's a certain sound, a certain aesthetic that I just felt like there were racist people at. <laughs> like if I if I could picture anything into a you know a, a bar or or a physical space. Mm-hmm. When it comes to um, the music of Eddie Van Halen, I wouldn't necessarily you know assume oh maybe I shouldn't go in there because they're racist. But um, the aesthetic is just not one that I heard very often, you know, around the house or in of my course. communities or whatever. I could so, tell. So I guess, you know, my question is, you know, um, in what ways, you know, did um, Eddie Van Halen, you know, uh, really honor a black tradition that maybe, you know, I could speak to or could get me into, you know, um, learning more about his catalog. Maybe he covered a, a famous soul song or used, you know, a spiritual. And I mean, I, I wonder if there's anything you can think of. There are a couple covers that they do, but uh, based in the blues tradition is their own original, which is a staple called the Ice Cream Man. Hmm. I'm your ice cream man, stop me when I'm passing by. 
On my mind, your eyes remain Stop me when I'm passing by See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy Hold on a second, baby I gotta put my yeah, like I said, you know, it's it's just an aesthetic that uh, I'm I'm not used to, but and and you know, in all of the work I try to do to make sure um, that black folk and other folks of color understand that you know this so-called classical music is something that they are a part of, even if they don't sure. know it, that our culture is a part of. I, I just wonder about that in these other genres, in which I can you know be enlightened and 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 learn something about my people that that I didn't know. Sure. And just imagine, you know, the, all the people that uh, were influenced by Eddie Van Halen's work, you know, Vernon Reed from Living Color was mm-hmm. one, obviously. Um, I can't think of uh, any rock band that wouldn't point to Eddie at least as some sort of an influence. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, uh, you know, you, you asked me um, about a week ago, just randomly, what was the first um, recording that I purchased with, with my own money? Mm-hmm. Where, where was uh, Van Halen on that timeline for you? Maybe not the very first. Oh, but... my brother Alan had him. Oh, okay. Yeah, and there was this great story that he told me about how he had one of the, their first cassette tape, not cassette, eight-track tape, in his truck. And my dad went out to move the truck, and as he's letting it warm up, that first track starts with this sort of siren coming in and scared the hell out of my dad. So that Van Halen was around me from since I can remember. He's also heard on a track that I know that you know. He was the guitarist on Michael Jackson's Beat It. Actually, that's a really great connection. That, that that's that, I think that's where I will start. You know, to to see what collaborations he had with famous black artists and mm-hmm. and go from there. That's really dope. Wow, I, I had no idea. So rest in rest in peace and rest in power to Eddie Van Halen. Um, so uh, a couple minutes ago, um, you know, I brought up that you you know asked me about the first recording that I ever bought. Right. And uh, when I was about when I was a uh, sixth grader, I think 11, 12 years old, uh, the first. CD, I, it was a CD. The first thing I went out and bought with my own money at Cat's Music, if anybody <laughs> remembers Cat's Music, um, was Mariah Carey's Number Ones album. And, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, the the internet is listening. So, you know, me, you, us talking about Mariah Carey on our own time and me thinking about it, um, an article um, ran across um, my page called the thought leaders issue Mariah Carey with a little subtitle, The Singer Talks Identity Politics, Black Lives Matter, and Healthcare Access. And, you know, one of the um, really poignant things in here, you know, and I had never heard uh, Mariah Carey really talk like this, is she's talking about the um, conditioning that we are under when it comes to normalizing things like poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, just just it's normal for people to be poor or to not have um, access to, to, to health care. And... Um, you know, as we continue to, you know, get closer to this election and, and voting, you know, a, as we affirm the importance of the vote, I think um, Mariah Carey hit, uh, and I'll put, I'll link the article, I think she, you know, was sort of 
tiptoeing around a really interesting uh, intersection, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, extending the power of that vote, you know, that energy into into actual society and mm-hmm. into people who, you know, can help each other rather than, you know, blindly only elevating the career of some politician who you never know and, and who uh, you will we'll never know you. I'll, I'll read a little bit of the article here. It says, um, she says, we've been socialized to believe that poverty is a personal failure rather than our systems failing us. Right. My upbringing was unconventional to say the least. We had little structure and little money and little social support to feel grounded. There are times I can't believe I was a little girl who lived in shacks who always felt unsafe undercared for a lonely and perpetually scared you know so for for mariah carey this person um you know and and speaking of eddie van halen again you know when we talk about this ambiguous sort of uh racial um background you know that's something that was always a conversation in black communities when it came to mariah carey you know uh, despite the fact that we you know really loved her music so i think when you mix all of that in um it's it's really interesting um, that this conversation, things that seem really radical once upon a time, are not only, you know, happening on social media and those sorts of planes, you know, all of the various Zoom panels, but also what um, celebrities like the legendary Mariah Carey are saying. And that's really encouraging to me to think that people are actually considering the fact that, you know, the system is just not working, just, just right. naming that. It doesn't work. And not for enough people, anyway. And not for everybody. And it's it's people, not for enough people. Right, right. The people that it is working for are the ones that we're fighting against. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I don't want to really uh, spend too much time. It's actually not a very long article, but I just wanted to make sure I named it. And again, you're asking me, you know, about the first thing I, um, sure. you know, bought, you know, kind of, you know, had me thinking about it. But it's also interesting that you bring up the. Uh, her background was something that you talked about in the black community because I always just referred to her as as black. I just always thought oh, she, she was, was just black. <laughs> yeah. So that 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 really is a conversation, huh? Oh, I mean, it, I remember it it being, and it isn't now, but um, like a hang up, like a problem. Not not a, not a hang up because you know when you go all the way back to you know songs like uh, visions of love and and all that <laughs> stuff. You know it, it, that was kind of like eighties, early nineties pop. You know, but when she started collecting collaborating with uh, Old Dirty Bastard. You know, that's what folks started seeing it differently. disappointed i didn't think of that rap name first <laughs> and 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 look look uh and and rest, and rest in peace to odb as mm, well yeah you know? um but yeah i mean the the time i could spend talk about mariah carey you know one sweet day with boys to men mm. um my all one of those i think 90s hits that i loved obsessed you know that that you know that begins very shadily with and i was like why are you so obsessed with me I hope you've never gotten that response from someone. Why are you so obsessed with me? No, um, a lot of ghosting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. They to don't. Laugh. They don't even. They don't even want to know why I'm so obsessed. 
you know, and, uh, and you know, looking forward in this opus, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be talking to the Phoenix and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, and especially with, you know, the downbeat again coming from uh, Queen Latifah, you know, so um, uh, women who rap, female rappers have been um, on my mind. But I would be remiss if um, I didn't name the very special sort of digital collaboration uh, between Mariah Carey and my, fam- uh, my favorite male rapper, Drake. We've talked about um, emotionless on this podcast before, but you know mm-hmm. I have to bring it back up. This is feeling like the second movement. We need we need to get into the second movement. <laughs> <laughs> what's gonna what's gonna bridge us there? I mean, we've talked about Bill Burr, Johnny Nash, Van Halen, Mariah Carey. I mean, I think um, in the second movement you were going. Oh, you were gonna bring up the band Indigenous, right? Okay, how about we hear a little bit of that to get us there? Sure. That's a, a track by the band Indigenous called Things We Do, yeah. one of their top charts. Yeah, and and as we were saying earlier, I didn't know this band um, exists, but yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it more. What, there is some classical coming up, probably, you know, the most classical of all, you know, among them uh, coming right. up in the second opus, uh, in the second movement. But how about you um, talk a little bit more uh, first about this band, uh, Indigenous. So are they a bunch of white boys that decided they're called Indigenous? Is that uh, what happened? Actually, they are <laughs> all from South Dakota. Uh, they all grew up on an Indian reservation in Yankton. They're part of the Nakoda Nation. Yeah. And really, they uh, they stepped into a really crowded field, I thought. Um, when they came to prominence, there was a lot of people out there doing the Stevie Ray Vaughan blues mm-hmm. sort of sound, that electrified um, extended cadenzas sure. for, the, for the guitars, sure. right? You know, uh, very guitar driven with uh, just a little bit of distortion and reverb on it. And um, usually... Uh, a male vocalist spinning his tales of woe. But um, it was, like I said, it was a really crowded field. There was a lot of bands who were doing that sound and they carved out an incredible niche in the upper Midwest. I mean, people know them all around the country, but since they were from South Dakota and me growing up and living in Omaha, Mm -hmm. I got to hear them all the time. Yeah. And uh, kind of an interesting little piece of trivia, you know, my brother Alan plays guitar and he was a collector for a while and he was in a guitar shop and picked up this Stratocaster and was really interested in buying it. And the salesperson told him, uh, yeah, that that's from Mato Nanji, the vocalist and guitarist from Indigenous. And Alan went, you can wrap that up. So, I'm taking that with me. So are there recordings that feature that instrument that your brother has? There is. There is. And I, and I, I wanted to play it for you next. It's called Waiting.
Shout out to the band Indigenous. Um, and once again, shout out to Indigenous People's Day. It's uh, th- th- there's some we're not going to talk about it today, uh, but, you know, and maybe we have all on, on this podcast before. But, you know, there is that so-called classical music by indigenous composers sure. that use the Native American flute. And um, there's a um, a powwow drum concerto that I used to air uh, down at, at WEOT. So, wow. yeah, there, there's there's all kinds of stuff. I'll find um, a couple things and uh, just throw them onto the Triloquy Tracks playlist on Spotify. So be sure to uh, check that out. But today, um, <clears throat> before uh, I got into my conversation, uh, we got into my conversation with uh, the Phoenix, Andrea McNeil. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, unpack a, a tweet that kind of moved a little bit last week. So you never know what ran- what you tweet and what will randomly you know catch fire and get all these <laughs> engagements and stuff. So I had something like 10,000 engagements over <laughs> a tweet oh, where wow. my... Um, uh, you know, hot take. I, I I quote tweeted someone who said, you know, what's your most um, controversial musical take? And just completely and just jokingly, I said, abolish the Sonata Allegro first movement repeat. And, you know, you get into all of the, the nerdy arguments and experiences. Shout out to Sam Bergman, who is always very active <laughs> on, on Twitter. But I, I kind of wanted to go into that uh, a little bit for folks you know, to to be in on the, on the joke, and this isn't going to be you know some long drawn out music theory lesson. Um, and I'm actually going to um, uh, frame this uh, in a piece of music um, that actually worked very well for today's opus, but also is very recognizable to to make this point. <laughs> So everyone, just about everyone, at least everyone in the Western world knows uh, Beethoven Five. Mm-hmm. So um, you're listen, you're you're going through this very famous opening movement, and uh, you kind of get to that uh, final stop in the um, basically what, what what we call the uh, exposition uh, of the first movement um, of a uh, of a symphony. So you you know you get to to the end of that, and before you move on into the development, maybe if I could use a, a you know. A, I don't know, maybe the bridge, you could say, Mm -hmm. in pop music or whatever, before you get into the development and away from those famous themes that that everyone knows, Mm -hmm. um, according to the form, you're supposed to go back to the beginning and play all of that again. Right. That that is a that is a uh, aspect of sonata allegro form. You know, um, and w- w- which uh, just I think all Beethoven symphonies, the first movement of most symphonies, you know, before you know 1860, 1870, you know, are and maybe even uh, beyond are in that sonata allegro form. So basically, what I was saying was. We don't always have to repeat that first page right. again. Okay, it's one thing for it to be Beethoven five, you right, know, and we're right. listening to that again, you know. But um, when you're playing like Schubert Unfinished or some, you know, some other thing, and and some of those expositions can be long. You yeah. can be sitting there and playing exposition for 15, 20 minutes, and we have to go back and do it again. No, let's abolish that, especially because the concert hall is closed anyway. We don't have time. Let's just go straight to the second ending. So were you were you canceled as a result <laughs> you know I, I probably in in 19 if twitter were around in 1950 and some black boy was on twitter talking about oh don't take the uh, repeat in the first movement of a symphony they'd probably try the classical people probably try to get me out of here but mm. you know they can't get me out of here um but <laughs> <laughs> uh but but yeah, I, I just thought i would share that so and if and and if none of that made sense uh to you it didn't make sense to me either in my first music theory class but <laughs> well i think a lot like myself a lot of people listening probably didn't even know what that was called they just figured 
that it was you written just out. did that. Yeah, that yeah. it was just written. And sometimes that way. they are written out, you know, uh, and, and and you can't help but to take the repeat. But yeah. but but I, I, you know, little 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 jokey joke there. But you know, it actually works really well that um, you know uh, I'm talking about Beethoven Five. Um, the Illharmonic Orchestra, who has been featured on Triloquy uh, before, who I, you know, shout out and big up and have played with all the time. You know, one of their most famous uh, pieces of music um, actually uses um, that first movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony right. as sort of the uh, backtrack. But 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 before we uh, revisit that, um, I wonder if there were other um, Beethoven Five remixes that uh, you could speak to. Oh, are you kidding me? A Fifth of Beethoven. <laughs> That's what it's called, a Fifth of Beethoven. A Fifth of Beethoven. Now, this is 70-ish, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you were there. <laughs> <laughs> I was just a baby. Uh, was was there a party that you could remember being at where you really just got into your bag when that song came on? I would have been six. <laughs> so You can still get into your if bag. I, if, if I was in a bag, it was it was probably... A diaper you know, bag. <laughs> uh, I don't, you don't wear diapers at six. <laughs> well, at least I didn't. Sure, I don't know. Maybe sure, you did. Sure, sure. But, um, you know, no, I would have been, you know, six or seven years old. I, I just remember hearing it on the radio. There's still something fun about it, though. But those tones, da, 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 you know, when I was right around that same age, there was a little cartoon series on Captain Kangaroo, a little segment, you know, that was about three minutes. And there was this little whole note mm-hmm. turned sideways, and his name was Ludwig. And and you would learn music and there would be stories. And that was always part of the theme. So, yeah, Beethoven 5 has been with me since I was five. (laughs) There you go. And it's been many years. Yep. And it's still here. (laughs) Uh, When I was a a senior, I can't remember if it was my first senior year or my victory lap. Uh, (laughs) There's an ensemble um, at the, or there was anywhere, uh, an ensemble at the University of Memphis called Sound Fusion. Okay. So you have, you know, the orchestra, you have the various bands, you know, you have your new music ensemble. Sound Fusion was sort of like the pop music ensemble, you know, Mm. for people doing that sort of, of music study. And um, Sound Fusion collaborated uh, with the orchestra in this really fun concert. And that's when I was first exposed to a song called When I Get You Alone. And that actually opened up the uh, the program. We all know Beethoven 5, of course, you know, obviously. Um, but uh, and, and some people were sneering at it like, oh, what 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 is this? But, you know, after going through the rehearsals and um, and doing the performance of, of that and, and many single ladies was on that uh, program, too. Uh-huh. So, yeah, shout out to Beyonce, the Triloquy Drinking Game. You can go ahead and take your shot. I mentioned Beyonce. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, after going through all of those rehearsals and, you know, it, it, it was performed so well. I wish I could remember who the performer was uh, back at the University of Memphis, but it was performed so well. I became curious and went and, and bought the song off of iTunes or whatever uh, back then. And I haven't listened to it in a while, but I, I think there's a there's a funness to it.
so all of those, again, samples of Beethoven 5 bring us back to a tune called B-Boy Meets Beethoven. So um, I'll, I'll link the, the original opus that featured uh, the Phantom and the Phoenix. But, you know, way back when uh, this this kid named Jeff, Jeffrey, Jeffrey McNeil, uh, thought it would be fun to juxtapose um, uh, Paul Revere. Uh, Beastie Boys mm. with Beethoven Five, and you know was had created something that turned um, in, into a really incredible project known today as the Illharmonic Orchestra. Um, they uh, perform. Um, primarily with an orchestra, you know, so it's not just some classical tracks. These are covers and original songs that actually feature the symphonic sounds of an orchestra. And more often than not, you know, vis- uh, visually features, you know, black orchestral musicians, which nice. we talk about visibility and all that um, all the time. Um, so uh, the Harmonic Orchestra, um, alongside being headed by uh, Jeffrey McNeil or the uh, Phantom. Um, uh, it's uh, co-led, I'll say, uh, by his wife, Andrea, who goes by uh, the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a virtual concert uh, coming up this Saturday that I wanted to um, not only shout out, but uh, see if I could uh, get the Phoenix onto the show to you know, talk about some things that have been going on in her life and, and the work that they're doing on and off the stage. Um, and also to uh, dive into that conversation of uh, gender equity a little bit. You know, in classical music, we talk about racial equity. I think the world of hip hop, the conversation of gender equity is all that more important, you know, mm-hmm. as, um, you know, Queen Latifah has spoken to, you know, um, and all these other uh, women uh, in hip hop that, that that I could uh, list off from days past. And, and now, you know, there are issues there. And um, I think uh, Andrea, you know, really speaks well uh, to those issues. It's always uh, a pleasure to uh, spend time and uh, talk with uh, both her and uh, Jeffrey. But this one, this is the female feature. So we're going to uh, hear from the Phoenix um, here uh, in, in a second. But as we transition, I wanted to uh, go ahead and share a little bit um, of that uh, B-Boy meets Beethoven, just to give you a, a sample of uh, what you you know could be in for when you uh, tune in um, this coming Saturday for the virtual performance uh, by the Illharmonic Orchestra. So yeah, here's a little bit bit of a B-toy meets B-boy meets Beethoven uh, to get into my conversation with the Phoenix. Um, You know, I think that there's a lot of similarities in the genre to be in the two genres, to be quite honest. Um, and often I think that the, the traditionally classic classical community, they see themselves as sort of above, you know, certain behaviors or, um, you know, because it's considered more refined and elite and all of mm. that sort of thing. Um, but some of the very common themes there are just the overwhelming belief that women are, you know, less prolific or less intelligent um, and therefore not as qualified, right? Um, Some of the other common themes are, to be quite honest, misogyny and women being seen as objects. You know, we've, we've heard stories about women in orchestras and classical orchestras now bringing people to bringing conductors and um, principals to to task about inappropriate behavior and propositioning. Um, And those themes are sort of echoed in a lot of different art forms. 
Right. Um, you know, so and and I think that those things are they have those things in common. And so, you know, as you mentioned, women have always really kind of had to push even harder, fight even harder to be taken seriously um, and to be respected. And I think that, you know, one of the things that classical institutions can do um, is just first and foremost, don't patronize us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you have to you have to see. um women coming into these spaces as equal, if not better than, um, you have to be able to measure people for their true ability and their talent. And all of that needs to be taken into consideration as opposed to just having assumptions about what a woman can bring to, to the orchestra. Um, and then secondly, just you know, don't see us as objects or window dressings, right? You don't wanna just fill the orchestra with with the quota number just for the sake of being able to say you know that you have you have women within your orchestra and i think that they really need to make more of a concerted effort and a push to recruit to recruit women because if you look at a lot of the large uh, orchestras around the country and even around the world um, men are still very central to the the primary component of of what makes up those orchestras. Um, so those are those are just a couple of things that I think um, are, and they have to approach it with a, a definitely a level of sincerity, right? right? So it has to be in a way that's meaningful, um, in a way that's real. And then, you know, if we go a step beyond that, um, you know, on top of that gender equity, you know, the institution, certainly the classical institutions are talking about racial equity. So when you get into the intersection of the unique um, challenges and the unique beauty, you know, of engaging um, black women, I think that's a, a completely, you know, a, a whole nother level, you know, but alongside that, you know, attention to gender and racial equity is the question, is this a trend, you know, since, you know, George, George Floyd. Everyone has been, you know, saying a lot of things, uh, doing a little less, you know, I'll say, do you right. think this is something that's going to last or is this just the moment? Um, you know, honestly, I, I would really like to believe that this is here to stay. I would really like to believe that this this level of awareness is is genuine and it's real and it's something that people are willing to fight for, um, even even in the even in small ways. Right. So it, it's it doesn't necessarily mean that you're out there protesting, but there are there are small aggressions, there are microaggressions and there are um, things that that people do in their everyday lives that they don't realize that they're marginalizing people. Um, so as much as I would hope that it is here to stay, um, sometimes I feel like it's just the conversation of the moment. Um, I think that's what we've seen time and time again. And um, I think that a lot of it has to do with people wanting to be on the right side of history. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think people don't want to be seen as the racist. Um, people don't want to be uh, looked at or as if they align with the person who's in the White House, who is, you know, like really just um, showing his collective, you know what. Right. Um, and, 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 <laughs> You know, I think that there's there's this disassociation that that people are trying to do. Um, and in some instances, I think it's genuine. Um, in others, again, I think that people just want to be on the right side of history. And to be black and to aspire to blackness is not new. And it's 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 always been a recurring theme, um, whether it's 
black music, black cool, black slang, black clothing. Um, and as much as other groups don't want to admit that that that's something that they aspire to, they often do, but they kind of leave it short of really understanding what the black experience is, um, how we are marginalized, what systematic racism looks like and how it continues to affect us in the year 2020. And I think, again, from, from a standpoint of the organizations and from people in general, um, they have to approach it in a way that is truly meaningful, is genuine, um, and, and seeks to understand. Seeks to understand and to listen. Yeah. Without trying to insert your own thoughts about what you think the situation is or trying to insinuate your own quote unquote struggle into into the narrative right yeah. now and now it's about you now it's about your struggle as you know from whatever standpoint you see yourself as marginalized i think that there's this this um there's this thing that folks always want to do where they want to lump everything into into like black civil rights right everybody oh, yeah. wants to pile on everybody wants to be a part of that it's like oh well it me too in like another kind of way right yeah. and so it's it, it's never allowed to just stand apart so that we can really delve into this structure that has you know been a part of our our, our institution and in the fabric of our country for more than 400 years right and um, and, and of course the point i always make you know when we talk about when we talk about focusing on uh, on blackness and black liberation that means we are having the conversation of liberation for black women accommodation for uh black people with different abilities you know um uh, uh rights for black trans people it, it's all there right. you know it's not like right. we're excluding we're just as, as you you know uh, alluded to trying to deal with America's original sin. Right, right, absolutely. The one, the one that even to this day, um, there's, there's definitely an unwillingness to own. And I think, I think owning it, the ownership of what this country was built on is hugely, um, will, move, will move this conversation so much further in a way that people don't understand. I think part of the frustration and anger that people, black people specifically feel is this, this lack of desire to just own it and say, this is what was done, this is wrong, and, and really trying to, to, to move forward, but you have to, you have to acknowledge it first. And it, right. it's, you know, you have people still advocating for a Confederate flag and saying that it's about heritage when you really don't understand what that's built on. Right. What 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 that flag really stands for is not tradition and heritage. It is, but it's a tradition of something very specific. Right. 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 You know, and, and when we talk about these different um, perspectives and, and, and people, you know, seeing one thing but thinking another thing, you know, one of the hard truths that the nation, uh, I, I would say America specifically, has had to deal with is what happens when, you know, when, when we don't deal with COVID the way we should, when we right. don't wear our masks, when we, you know, and, and of course, you know, outside of all of our powers, that's taken a lot of the uh, live performance uh, things out of the picture. But, you know, the Ilharmonic is is definitely um, accommodating that. And we're going to talk about that um, here in a bit. Um, but uh, 
you know, but before we got into the virtual performance, you know, I'm thinking back to some of the live performances uh, by the Ilharmonic. And, you know, uh, as you know well, you know, you are a shining star on that stage. People really gravitate oh, to you. And, you know, I really think um, that's continued to grow over the years, you know, as we've been talking about the intersection between racial equity, gender equity, and really highlighting, you know, the beauty um, alongside the struggle of the black woman. So, you know, with all of that in mind, when you're on stage, you know, back in the before time, when you were on stage and all of these women, you know, in some of the in some of the concerts, some uh, little girls were there, you know, looking right. to you as more as just Andrea, more than the Phoenix, but the embodiment of you know, uh, black girl magic, as we say, black woman magic. What What is your reaction to being more than you when you are in front of the Ilharmonic? Um, honestly, even 20 years in, um, it still humbles me tremendously. It really does because um, I, you know, it's the reason, the reason that I step on the stage and the reason that I step on the stage and, and convey what I do, um, is purposeful. Uh, but oftentimes it's, it's just part of me being authentic. Um, and so when people are moved, when young girls are moved, um, it's, it, it just makes me feel, it makes me continue to recognize that I have a purpose, um, that I have something to share with, with our community, with the world. Um, and it just makes me feel, it makes me feel amazing. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's kind of hard to describe. Um, and somehow I'm still always taken, taken aback when, when it happens as if, you know, it's, it's just because, because I'm a regular person. I'm a regular girl, you know, I'm a regular girl <laughs> from Queens. Um, you know, I still, I have a, I have a, a normal life. Uh, I have, I have a dual persona. Um, but it's, I think it's important to step on stage with a level of being unapologetic about who I am. Um, however, that comes through. Uh, sometimes it comes across as loud. Sometimes it comes <laughs> across as, um, you know, calmer and humble and or or sexy or, you know, however, whatever that is. Um, it's it's always about just being trying to be my truest self um, and hoping that that speaks to young women in some way. Yeah. As you say, disrespecting Phoenix is a felony, right? <laughs> <laughs> Phantom knows all too well about that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, so for folks who may not know, what is the Ill Harmonic Orchestra? So, the Ill Harmonic Orchestra is uh, is a production music production company. It's it's it, it encompasses a lot. Um, it's a company run by both my husband and I, Jeffrey, um, founded by my husband many years ago, and um, it's. The, the, the mission is to showcase um, black excellence. Yeah. And, you know, through, through classical musicianship, um, the, the mission is to blend classical music and hip hop together to two genres that we feel very strongly in love um, and showing how they do have intersectionality, showing how they're not as different as people think they are. Mm -hmm. And also being able to bring something that is um, quintessentially a black music form to the classical space. 
Yeah. Right. And, and, and you've been, um, we, I'll say, you know, as a, as a performer with the Harmonic, you know, have been in all sorts of those classical spaces. You know, you talk about uh, the, the Kimmel Center in Philadelphia, you know, Carnegie Hall, uh, the, right. the, 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 right. Kennedy, the Kennedy Center, you know, just the names, the one that uh, the name, the ones that are at the top of my head. But, you know, alongside, you know, being in those classical spaces as performers, you know, lately um, you guys have engaged some of those spaces as uh, speakers of. Uh, um, uh, more recently uh, with a group affiliated or a program affiliated with the Chicago Symphony. I wonder if you'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, a couple of months ago, um, Jeff and I had the um, blessing and, and fortunate um, situation to, to be invited to do an interview with the Overture Council, which is, um, you know, an, an offshoot of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And one of their missions, which you know they have many, is to um, is to bring diversity into the Chicago Symphony space. Um, and one of the ways they do that is through um, you know interviewing and 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 showcasing black musicians uh, and musicians of color, uh, so that so that we're sh- showing how different you know people are doing classical music in a different way. Yeah, um, and. It was a, it was a tremendous um, it was just such a wonderful interview and so needed at the time. Um, I think that that was probably that might have been our first interview this year in in, in that sort of fashion. Um, and it really touched upon some things that we that we needed to vocalize and and talk about why diversity is important and similar things to what you and I have discussed. Um, what can classical institutions to do do to be um, more meaningful about the way that their selection process and mm-hmm. um, their their sense of inclusion and, and things of that nature? So it was it was just really a, a great experience to be able to have that platform and and to speak to it. Um, and you know we we had Jeff and our and our DJ. Uh, we were the the panel speakers. And again, you know, I feel like it's not lost on people that you have this this group of intelligent black folks who can talk about all things equally. Yeah. And, and there's still a belief that that, that doesn't exist um, <laughs> or that, or, or not, I, I'll take that back. Not that it doesn't exist, but that it's rare. And, and one of the things that we talked about during that interview was how many classically conservatory trained black musicians we have encountered in our journey and how there is this sort of belief that that's not that those people don't exist and so when when these large classical organizations talk about the fact that oh the talent is just not there or you know they talk about well they're not applying it's just not true and and we've seen it we've seen it by our own eyes the network is amazing oh, yeah. the, the, large it is a large community it is large and all you have to do is really just look (laughs) (laughs) you you just have to you just have to have a a a willingness to have those have those people who you consider others in that space and see them as equal see them as as gifted as intelligent as um talented all of yeah. those things. You know, oh. you when, when you talk about, you know, uh, 
these we you know folks you know who can speak to these topics and live in the world of hip-hop and other things as, as they don't exist you know you remind me of a scene from um a different world where heavy d <laughs> came yeah uh, and uh he was talking to you know whitley and she tries to be all bougie as he did uh, as, she, as she always did but heavy d was uh, able to engage that conversation as well i think they were talking about uh bizet's carmen or something yes uh, yeah you know so you know that, that the question that makes me think about it's one thing to you know uh, face these you know um, predominantly white institutions and have these conversations have you had to you know traverse these conversations with the so-called Whitleys of the world people black people who feel like those worlds need to remain separate or even that you know genres outside of classical are less than lesser than oh absolutely Absolutely. We, we encounter that all the time still, believe it or not. Um, you know, you, you're well aware that when we travel to uh, perform in, in cities, part of what we do is we travel with like a small core group of, of musicians that have been playing, what, playing with us for a long time. But we also enlist musicians from the local area um, to play with us as well. Um, and there are some folks that just haven't gotten an in, will not get an invite back if we ever come to that city, um, because because they come in already, even when they've accepted the job, right, with an air that what they're coming to do is less than, and maybe they're just looking at it as a check or, you know, something to do. But we've we've encountered people who look like us, who have come to perform with us and um, really don't even know what to expect. And then some of them leave pleasantly surprised and some of them just never quite get on, get on board with it. Um, and even, even you know, on Facebook and social media, we're always having those discussions and always encountering people that are like this, this have, they're that other percentage of people who just want to, argue or battle back and forth about the validity of hip hop music and whether it's even music at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, and they, they've been so trained and so programmed to believe that they have to only exist in this world because it gives them a certain level of acceptance that they can't even begin to wrap their mind around something else that, that is potentially um, equally complex um, and, and difficult and um, has value. You know, and it's interesting that you're speaking to that conditioning because the unfortunate truth is that these institutions have done a great job with conditioning, you know, the minds of both, you know, black and white folks, of, right. you know, this this tiered sort of uh, idea. I wonder if you think um, it's it's too late. Can can these institutions make the shift or should the focus be on owning our own and creating our own? Mm, wow, that's a powerful question. Um, I think that it's imperative that we continue to create our create and make our own and make our own space. Um, again, there's there's so much from an institutional standpoint on so many levels that has to be tackled before you can really move into these spaces in a way that is real, that I think that the way for us to make that way now is to do what we've always done, yeah. is to be innovative, 
and to create the spaces for, for people who look like us and create those platforms and do things like what you're doing, which is, you know, you're always bigging us up and you're always, you know, when we have a project, you're like one of the first people to be like, Hey, come, come get on this podcast. Come, <laughs> come, come tell folks what it is that you guys are doing and, and you pay it forward in that way. And we try to pay it forward and, and make sure that the, the people who are performing with us, if they have a, a new project that we're plugging that project and we're posting it on our page and, and, and trying to make sure that we're creating this circle of, of love and musicianship and a place where we're uplifting each other. Because not for nothing, Garrett, if we don't do it, truly no one is going to do it. Absolutely. There, there we, is it no has one to, to, it Otherwise has it would be done already. Right. And it has to start with us. It has to start with us as a people um, loving each other more and not feeling like we're all vying for the same thing, because I think that's where a lot of it comes from, too. There's space for all of us. Yeah, yeah. And with, you know, uh, the upcoming Illharmonic um, concert being virtual, there's room for more people than ever, right? So, <laughs> so you know, <laughs> one of the things I was uh, thinking about, you know, so, you know, Illharmonic performances are very much a party. It's very much dance, have fun. You know, this is this is all about the experience. Is that, um, do, do you see it as a challenge getting that experience through the screen, through the phone, through the, through, through the computer screen? Is, is that something that you guys have thought about as you uh, lead up to this concert? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, part of, part of where a lot of our energy comes from when we're performing is the, is the energy that we get from the audience, mm -hmm. you know, is, is the, is the feedback and the, and the, the love and, you know, people being drawn to us, the eye contact, right? Like all of those things are components of, of what builds us up when we're up there as well. So we've definitely given thought about how we can make this feel like a live concert experience where as if you feel like you're in the room with us. So it's, 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 we're working on a lot of different things and, and we're hoping that that shines through um, and that, that people are singing along in their living rooms or wherever they are tuning into this show and feeling like they are right there with us. Yeah. And, and so you say sing along. And again, for the folks who don't know, um, there are original uh, compositions, I'll call them, uh, but, but also, you know, um, arrangements of, of classic hip hop tunes that, and, and R&B tunes that folks will also recognize, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's, again, it's about making the connections. Um, and, and so part of how you, how we, we've been able to include folks who look like us, who wouldn't typically come into these spaces is by showing them how something that they've heard before or heard a million times before, how that, what that sounds like in the form of an instrument. And so even if that that production was created on a keyboard and all of it, including the strings and the horns and the woodwinds were all done through some sort of uh, technology, what that equates to in, an or in a real orchestra. And when they make the connection, you can almost, it's like that light bulb aha moment when it clicks for people when they come to a show and they hear a Jay-Z song and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, that's Jay-Z, you know, like they're, they're, enthusiastic or that's big daddy Kane, or that's uh you know the choice is yours that's that's um black sheep or or something like that when they're able to make the connections um is when we know we really got them 
<laughs> and, you know, and one of the things that we've talked about uh, before is that, you know, the focus and the celebration of that classic hip hop sound, you know, as it meshes with classical music, really speaks to um, hip hop's um, not really speaking to, you know, a certain age demographic. And we're not even talking about, you know, folks, you know, our parents age, but, you know, people who are around in the late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, as right. hip hop turned into, you know, a, a different sort of machine, th those folks are, you know, sort of, you know, I, I hate to say left behind, but, you know, the aesthetic, you know, hasn't, you know, really been there as it was right. back in those classic days of hip hop. How right. do you um, so, you know, when you mesh that idea with technology and also attracting a younger audience, how do you mesh all of those together? Why should, you know, a black kid who plays the trumpet and is 22 years old know who KRS-One is? Well, if you if you consider yourself a a fan or a lover of hip hop or, or a true student of the school, um, again, you're, you have to know your history, right? And, and the reason why there is a Kendrick Lamar or um, a Chance the Rapper or any of these, you know, more contemporary, even conscious um, rappers is because somebody preceded them and somebody preceded them and someone preceded them. Um, and the skill, the poetry, you know, all of that comes from someplace. And if you don't know where that stems from, if you don't know the true origins of hip hop and where it started and that it started with multiple elements and how all of those things came together, um, then you're, you're doomed to make something that's not gonna be lasting. The, 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 the true test is, is if somebody is bumping your music 10, 15, 20, 30, five years from now. And the true um, pioneers of hip hop, if you throw that music on now in a club or um, at a house party, you know, or something like that, that stuff has had staying power and it's for a reason. Yeah, it's for yeah. a reason. So, and, and it doesn't hurt to throw in a tune or two that's that's, you know, modern day. We yeah. do that too. It's not all just, um, you know, golden age hip hop. We throw in some some current stuff too. mask off, you know, like <laughs> we're playing some of the trap stuff. Jeff has a uh, came up with a made a trap Game of Thrones. OK, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're making sure that it is, um, you know, that it's on par and that and that it's enjoyable for all. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Uh, but uh, before I ask you uh, my, my final question, uh, how can folks, um, you know, learn more about uh, the Phantom and the Phoenix and uh, and check out this concert that's coming up? Oh, so um, just check us out on Facebook um, and, and take a look at our page. We are the Phantom and the El Harmonic Orchestra, T-H-E-E. Phantom and the El Harmonic Orchestra um, and just check out our event page for October 24th. Um, you can check us out on our website, um, thephantom.hiphop.com um, and just come on and, and, and bring your dancing shoes. Yeah, yeah. So, Andrea, you know, I like to keep it trill. So my, my last <laughs> question for you, So something that I've been thinking a lot about. So, you know, again, in um, in this heightened, uh, when, when the conversation of race is heightened, you know, I think about, you know, that night when here in the Twin Cities where, you know, it, when mm -hmm. it all went down and, yeah. you know, when, when it came to, you know, physically attacking a institution, a structure of oppression, you 
you know, as it applied here, it was that third precinct. It, it was a, a police station. Um, so many of us, you know, through our lived experiences in music, see the concert hall as that oppressive structure. Um, I guess it's a sort of a, a two-part two question. Um, if stuff, you know, if, if we get into the situation where things are, are happening again, how far down the line do you think those concert halls are from being this symbol of oppression for more black people? And how can those institutions get off that list as quickly as possible? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think you're 100% right. I think that uh, anything that's looked upon as um, an institution where if you are other, you are not welcomed will become, could, could potentially become a target. Um, I think, you know, I, I just harken back to what I said earlier in the interview. I, I think that classical institutions need to make a concerted effort to bring in people who care about diversity and, and, and create spaces where people can feel welcome. Right. You have to you first you have to first know that the opportunity to be in that space exists. And if you're and if they're not marketing to those folks, if they're not trying to bring those folks in, um, that's not going to happen. Um, and classical music eventually, if 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 it fails to try to innovate. It will disappear, just like every other genre of music that we have encountered in our history. If you don't find ways to innovate, it will it will definitely die off. Um, so they have to be meaningful about recruitment. They need people who work in those spaces who care about diversity. Um, and you know, I think that's something that you and I have talked about on on a number of occasions. The importance of of being genuine in in the way you bring people into those spaces. I went from get it together, you really be going through it, girl, to all of a sudden, we always knew you could do it, girl. Used to view me through your fake look lens, now you're all on my inbox trying to be Facebook friends. Word? You happy for me? Being married to suits me? Used to try to exclude me, send me and mom was bougie from singing Mary J. Blige on the back of the bus. Now Carnegie and the Kennedy said it's packing for us, but... You know, Scott, the first time we had um, uh, the Phantom and the Phoenix on Triloquy, you spoke to how uh, the Phoenix just has a sound that mm -hmm. just instantly, you know, draws draws you in. It, it's something how, um, you know, of course, women in, in all fields, you know, but specifically women in rap really have that je ne sais quoi, you know, if I if I may spit out a bar there sure. uh, <laughs> that, that you can't really name and, and why it is. But there's just something attractive about it. You know, that's why. You know, I, I stand Nicki Minaj for so many years. You know, I love Megan the Stallion. You know, I always name Beyonce as my favorite rapper. But there's just something about the quad, that instrument, I'll say, that instrument in that setting. That's th There's nothing like it. I agree. But, you know, me, I'm a fan of Mary J. Blige. So, oh, yes. you know, from back in the days. Mm -hmm. And to see her, like, on the Umbrella Academy, that a whole new a whole new generation is getting introduced to her through that way. She can do that too. Mm -hmm. Shout out Mary J. Blige. Yeah, yeah. And shout out to all of the women out there uh, in music uh, and beyond. And once again, um, huge shout out to the Illharmonic Orchestra. I'll have a link where you can uh, check out um, what's happening this weekend, where you could uh, purchase tickets, um, support the Illharmonic. They're doing some incredible stuff. All right, now let's get into this triloquy. Okay, so we've already been here for a little 
for a little minute. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep this, you know, nice, nice and tidy. We'll see how we do. There were two. So, you know, over the come over the past weeks, we've, we've kind of not acknowledged the uh, presidential and vice presidential debates. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that because, quite honestly, I don't care. Uh, but I woke up to Twitter uh, the morning after the vice presidential debate, and I saw all of all of this nonsense about a fly. Okay, um, and you know, you dig deeper, and you see that they're making these. Um, uh, you know, Pence themed or Kamala themed fly swatters that, you know, are sold out everywhere. And there was even a fly skit on, um, you know, Saturday Night Live. It's all fun and games. Fine. You know, what if all of that energy and all of that money was put towards something that could help somebody? Now, maybe the proceeds from these fly swatters, you know, um, you know, went to something. But when you talk about the branding, when you're talking about the design and most importantly, when you talk about the speed Okay, Mm -hmm. you you know, if we may return to it, you know, your whole, you know, real change is 10 to 15 years off in the future. Okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. When people want to move, they do. And Mm -hmm. I think this is an example of that. And it's irritating to me to see it. If I can just uh, speak plainly, I'm I'm not trying to curse out anybody who bought the fly swatter or anyone who's, you know, made a fly joke as much as I, I mean to say there are is energy that that energy can go other places am i making sense or am i just kind of talking in circles no i think that you're making sense and it's not something that leapt to my mind immediately i mean i don't give them any money i don't even donate to campaigns Mm -hmm. you know because i figure they i don't know they can do it themselves but that is a great point that is a, a terrific point about what could be done if all of that money was put into helping these people over here at the park near my house right have a place to sleep at night. Right, exactly. All these growing tent cities. So, you know, my, 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 and as I said, we're going to try to get through these. I have a few. (laughs) My, My message there, you know, to the folks listening, don't be afraid to challenge um, the speed of institutions or even individuals when it comes to the, the whatever change you're trying to incite, whatever change uh, you're trying to see, because it can happen. And that damn fly was, was proof of it. They, they can move. People can move when they want to. Mm. Um, and, and, and it's a shame that it's it, that that much energy goes toward something so silly at the end of the day. You know, what does that fly have to do with the future of this country in the broad scheme of it, but there's so much attention being put right there, you know. Well, you know what flies land on. Mm, well, <laughs> okay. Um, number two here, we did not talk about um, the late Jonathan Price. Rest in peace. A lot of rest in pieces and rest in powers in this opus. Rest in peace and rest in power um, to Jonathan Price. A lot of folks. Um, and if you don't know, um, one of the latest uh, victims of police brutality, uh, another unarmed uh, black man um, shot down by a police officer who I, who was arrested um, that I read this time because they know they were going to tear that town up otherwise. But um, what, what's interesting, what's tragic, what's whatever uh, about that story is that Jonathan Price was very openly a police sympathizer. There are uh, tweets and, and Facebook posts that, that folks have spread around mm-hmm. uh, with the late Jonathan Price talking about oh, y'all need to chill, the police are fine, and and X, Y, and Z. I hope that people understand, especially uh, black people, I hope they understand that the institutions that, you know, that you will ride or die for, or even the institutions that you can't blame for any personal wrongdoing, um, 
if, if that's the case for you, that's great that you didn't have those neg- negative experiences. That does not mean that you can't one day fall victim. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing my best to, as I said last week, not make this the Garrett was fired from his job podcast, but, you know, and not to compare a loss of a job to a loss of life. But there are so many people that think that large institutions inside of classical music, if you want to talk about the police or whatever, um, you know, don't want to take the material, don't want to take the history that we have been shown, that we see the status quo and apply it to themselves because of your proximity to um, whatever. So I wanted to, you know, take the opportunity to say two things, you know, rest in peace, rest in power to Jonathan Price and don't think that it can't be you because I've had a police's gun to my head twice, more than once. So yeah. it, I know it could be me. Maybe there's somebody out there who is an operatic tenor or a cellist or an oboist or a conductor that thinks that that, that is black and thinks that it can't happen to them. It can. Mm-hmm. Do not be fooled. Do not be fooled. And this is yet another tragic example. It's sad to reduce human life to a, an example, but that's what this is. And wasn't it... Uh, Price was trying to intervene. In yeah, people an were argument. fighting. Yeah, and he was trying to calm it down. And I, I read a report that said he even tried to shake the police officer's hand as he walked up. But I guess that was taken as a threat. It was a taser that he got first, and then the and and then the gunshots. My goodness. I mean, just re re you know an, another one of those uh, <laughs> what we were talking about uh, the exposition and development of symphonies mm. earlier in this opus. You know, at the end of the first movement uh, comes something called the recapitulation that's where we get the right. word recap right this is a recapitulation of something that we've seen so many times so again I'll, I'll say it once more it can happen to you don't think that it cannot now finally on that topic jonathan price if he were still alive and tweeting all that stuff is someone who we can deal with as a community and i'm speaking specifically to the black people that we can deal with as a community that we can nurture that we can engage to figure out how we can you know uh find that common ground and and get some equitable um conversations going um I spent uh, a long time, three hours, and I posted this on Facebook. If you know who I'm talking about, great. If you don't, I think it still applies. I spent three hours on an international phone call over the weekend um, with a, a, a black conductor um, who, who who's based over there in Europe. And one of the big things we talked about that I tried to convince him of is it's not always so important to be that big bad wolf and that controversial figure, you know, that, you know, you, you don't care if, if, if anyone doesn't like me and, and, and all that, you know, we, we, I'm not talking bad here. We had that conversation. Now on the other side, what I see is a lot of people so ready to take people like this person I'm talking about, like Jonathan Price and just throw them away as being, you know, people that we can't deal with anymore. It hurts my heart to see that, to circle this back around to this fly and the whole presidential um, election, to see that we will put all of our energy, we will stand in line, rain, snow, or sleet. We will tweet. We will um, contribute and buy to elevate the uh, political careers of these people, people who will never know us and who we will never know personally, people who that I argue, you know, don't always actually have the working and the poor in their minds when they're when when they're doing their work uh, up there in Washington. We are so ready to back them up at the same time. 
you know, throwing away folks that we know and mm. are in our circles okay. and, and actually could help us on, on, on this ground level. I'm, I'm, y'all know I'm not a Christian. And I didn't come here to preach to you, but there is a, a verse. I, but I do know my scripture. There, there, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about, you know, how can you love God who you have never seen and hate your brother who you have seen? You know, and I'm th- and I'm thinking of that. And I'm and obviously I'm not. The metaphor is not politicians or God or what. You know, I'm not saying that. I want you know, you got to cover your tracks these days. But yeah. what I, what I am saying, and and this isn't. I guess this isn't just to the black folk, but everyone. If there are people in your community, in your periphery, that you can help, that you can uplift, that you can feed, that you can get along their way in in some way. Even if they disagree with you, even if they're a straight up Trump supporter, even if they're a straight up uh, police um, sympathizer, even if they are um, Antifa, as you know, uh, Trump and them say, if they if if they live this existence that you disagree with, you know, try to find that common ground because y'all are oh so ready to find a reason to go and vote for Biden. You know, who has said many problematic things about black people, but we can't do that for our own. We we, we got to do better. So that's my little, you know, mini sermonette. Shout out to everybody. Go vote if that's something that um, you value. And I will see you all next week. 